Welcome to the fourth episode of Africa Investigates, a podcast that explores some of the biggest cases of corruption across the continent. This week, we look at how corruption in public health institutions across West Africa, and particularly in Sierra Leone, exacerbated the recent Ebola epidemic. While the World Health Organization declared Sierra Leone Ebola-free in November 2015, two new cases have been reported as of January 24th this year. Despite the influx of foreign aid during the crisis, Sierra Leone still lacks the public health infrastructure needed to deal with a sustained battle against the virus, which claimed the lives of 4,000 Sierra Leoneans last year. Part of the issue stems from Sierra Leone's deep-seated political corruption, which extends from high-ranking government officials to local health clinic workers. The Sierra Leone government conducted an official audit of the health ministry's expenses between May and October 2014. This audit revealed that over 25% of the ministry's expenses were incurred without proper documentation. Since the ministry did not adequately document the contract allocation and distribution of funds for treatment centres and ambulances, it was difficult to determine if the money was used for its intended purpose. The corruption inherent in the contract system means that precious resources are diverted from the people and places most in need. Many healthcare workers have gone for months without salary payments. While the government promised $5,000 to the families of health workers who have died while treating Ebola cases, the money is usually slow in coming if it comes at all. Despite the generally dire situation of Sierra Leone's healthcare infrastructure, success stories do exist, such as the case of the Jawi chiefdom in the Calhoun district. The paramount chief, Musa Kalon, whose wife and daughter were both killed by Ebola, put Jawi into lockdown. The chief strictly enforced a series of Ebola bylaws, which ensured that people buried the dead safely, took the sick to the only local treatment facility, and thoroughly disinfected themselves after possible exposure. After three months, on only a tiny operating budget, Jawi was declared Ebola-free. Jawi stands in high contrast to many other chiefdoms and districts in Sierra Leone, where huge budgets brought corruption rather than Ebola relief. In an article published last August, in Le Monde Diplomatique, journalist Silas Gabandia, director of the Center for Investigative Journalism of Sierra Leone, lays out how such corruption manifested during the Ebola crisis. He joins us now over the phone. Perhaps we could begin by you telling us how you first learnt of corruption in the healthcare system and how did you decide to pursue it as a longer investigative piece? I first learned of corruption in the healthcare system shortly after the president announced the free healthcare scheme in April 2010. The free healthcare scheme provides free treatment in government-run hospitals and clinics to pregnant women, lactating mothers, and children who are five years old and below. A few months after the declaration of free health care, people began to complain of nurses and sometimes doctors asking them to pay consultation fees. Bed nets meant for free distribution were in marketplaces for sale. From that moment, I began following allegations of corruption in the health sector, the awarding of contracts for the procurement of drugs, and construction of health facilities. I began visiting hospitals, clinics, and other health facilities and discussing corruption with health officers. You hold up Musa Kalan's leadership in Jawi as exemplary. How did you hear about what was happening in Jawi, and what was the investigative process there like? I learned about Chief Musa Kalan a few days after the Ebola outbreak in Sierra Leone. I received a strange call one morning, I cannot recall the exact date, and the caller introduced himself as Chief Musa Kalan of Jawi. 
At that time, I was the producer of a popular radio program syndicated across the country. He told me he wanted to tell the whole story, that Ebola was real and he had lost his wife and daughter to the disease. I became interested in his story and began investigating Chief Musa Kalan. I spoke to people who know Chief Kalan and eventually visited Jawi. I interviewed people during that visit that helped me to know Chief Kalan's leadership qualities. That's why I selected Chief Kalan when I decided to work on the story. While the article includes direct quotes from Kalan, there are none from government figures. Were you able to reach any health ministry officials for comment on this piece? I attempted to have interviews with government officers in the health ministry, but they refused to speak on camera. They saw what I was doing as an attempt to expose the wrong things in the ministry and therefore did not want to be blamed for granting journalists interviews without the consent of their bosses. They often cite the civil service code. The code does not allow them to speak to the media without approval. Public officers themselves don't like to speak to journalists. They often fear they might be misquoted, or the journalist will put words in their mouths. Kalan, who is not afraid to speak his mind, wanted the world to hear his story. Therefore, he is the one I quoted. But some public officers spoke to me on the condition of anonymity. What were the biggest challenges in collecting data and collecting evidence for this piece? The Civil Service Code restraining civil servants from giving out data or speaking to journalists was a challenge. The access to information law has been enacted and the office created, but it cannot be relied on to interview public officers or get data on some public officers. What kind of response has your essay met with from government officials in Sierra Leone? Has it provoked any changes? The official government response is for the Anti-Corruption Commission to charge all those found wanting of looting Ebola funds. And the ACC has been working towards that. But the head of the Anti-Corruption Unit is now the Attorney General and Minister of Justice. For me, this is a setback. Until we get a new ACC boss, some of the cases will not be handled. How should Sierra Leone begin to deal with corruption in the public health infrastructure? The country has few trained doctors and nurses. Government should therefore ensure that doctors and nurses are not manning projects and sitting in offices. They should be addressing patients in hospitals. This will ensure they are not involved in the awarding of contracts. There should be a team in the ministry to audit health facilities every quarter. You're the director of the Center for Investigative Journalism in Sierra Leone. And among the center's goals are exposing abuse of office, corruption, and betrayal of trust by public and private individuals and institutions. How has the Ebola crisis affected the state of journalism in Sierra Leone? Ebola diverted our attention from other issues. We've been talking of Ebola from May 25, 2014, up to this moment. With the declaration of the state of the emergency during the Ebola period, People in authority used the emergency laws to detain journalists for flimsy reasons. The Minister of Transport and Aviation, during the period, claimed he bought 100 buses from China costing $12 million. But we were not allowed to discuss it fully because of the Ebola emergency. You published this article in uh, August 2015. Sierra Leone was declared Ebola-free in November 2015. Have you noticed any changes in government attitudes towards free speech over the last few months? Government has not really changed its attitude towards free speech. We still have seditious libel law in our law books. 
A colleague, Jonathan Lee, of Independent Observer newspaper, was arrested and kept in detention for some days in December 2015 for stating that three people died during a heated campaign in a parliamentary by-election. Self-censorship is evident in the media. Some colleagues are on the paycheck of government officers. Some of these guys are paid agents for the government in the media. Do you have any advice for other investigative journalists in Sierra Leone? The decision to be an investigative journalist is a tough one in Sierra Leone, but your goal should be to use your microphone, your pen, and your keyboard to make that change that will provide free health care to children and women in a true sense of the word across Sierra Leone. Thank you to Silas Kabandia for spending time with us today. This Answer podcast was funded by Open Society West Africa and co-produced by the World Policy Institute. A quick programming note from one of our partners. Impact Africa is the continent's largest fund for data-driven storytelling. Run by Code for Africa, Impact Africa is offering $500,000 in support for pioneering data journalism and innovative reporting that tackles development issues such as public health care in six African countries. Those countries are Ghana, Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, Tanzania, and Zambia. If you'd like to know more, visit impactafrica.fund for full details. Mm-hmm.